So the New Year holidays are over. Simchat Torah is behind us. Begin reading the Torah again, starting at the beginning. Reshit, first chapters in the book of Genesis. One of the great fallacies of modern times is that so many people look to the Bible to justify science and physics. The Bible was never intended to be a physics textbook. The Big Bang of Genesis is not the expansion of the physical universe from a tiny ball of matter. Rather, the Big Bang of Genesis is the expansion of the moral universe towards values that really matter. Genesis is not the first chapter in Physics 101. It is, however, the first chapter in religion. The questions, did the snake really talk? Did it really take six days to create the universe? Are almost beside the point, even in religious discourse. They relate only to the most elementary and simple-minded curiosities. We seek much deeper meaning. We seek to discern the fundamental truths that are hidden within the texts about the human universe, the character, personality, and aspirations of the human creature. We pursue different questions than science, and thus we use different tools. In science, we teach through numbers. In religion, we teach through poetry, music, symbols, and parables. In science, we see chemical equations. In religion, we see moral equations. Science tells us what is. Religion tells us what ought to be. Do what is right and good in the sight of God, says Genesis. The concept of good is not a scientific term. It is a religious and moral term. We possess not only an organ called the heart, we have heart. Our bodies store not only cells, but souls. We have consciousness in a biological sense, but not only that. Religion teaches us that we have conscience. My conscience admonishes me at night, proclaims the psalmist. Vayar Elohim kito, and God saw that it was good, and when it came to us, tov me'od, very good. This is the human task, to be good, to find good, to express good, to live good lives, and to discover goodness even in adversity. The world of all creation is good. Nothing about religion can be contradicted by science. At its best, religion embraces science as a friend whose rigorous methodologies and standards of proof allow for a deeper, more mature religious approach. So I was really pleased to read this week this article here about a new study published in the journal Nature Neuroscience. Does anybody read Nature Neuroscience? Or did you see this article in the New York Times? Why big liars often start as small ones? One of the big questions of religion 
is why do people lie so much? Why does it seem that the more we lie, the more we lie? And the bigger the lies get. For example, did you read about the UNESCO decision this week? That not only condemned Israel again for all the sins of the world, a pretty big lie, but simply erased any connection of the Jewish people to Jerusalem. A lie of such gigantic proportions that it's akin to calling the world, the earth, flat. And this from the world body ostensibly devoted to education and culture whose tagline is building peace in the minds of men and women. The Palestinian Authority promoted it, but it was supported by such other paragons of truthful virtue as Algeria, China, Pakistan, Lebanon, Oman, Qatar, France, Spain, Sweden, and Italy, by the way, abstained. If you want to know the central reason peace doesn't appear possible now, you can find it in the events of the week. The UNESCO vote tells anyone of goodwill that the Palestinians are simply incapable of accepting even basic historical truth, let alone the right of modern Israel to exist, and have concocted monumental lies that are tolerated by Western powers that know better but indulge the Palestinians like a knowing parent might put up with a child's lies. But I digress. This is not really what I want to talk about. I just can't help myself. <laughs> what I want to point out here is that how does it come to be that otherwise intelligent and reasonable people can tell lies? And the more lies they tell, the more lies they tell, and the more, it seems, they believe their own lies. Religion is fascinated by this. And since our Parsha, Breshit, describes the creation of man and woman, naturally, it was the launching pad of the discussion of that very thing that the rabbis called the Yetzer, the impulse to do bad things, including Lying. A study published in Nature Neuroscience asserted that people who tell small, self-serving lies are likely to progress to bigger falsehoods, and over time, the brain adapts to dishonesty. Imagine that. Apparently, the brain becomes increasingly desensitized to lying the more we lie. As lying increases, the response in the amygdala, that part of our brain that is responsible, associated with emotions, the more we lie, the more the, the response in the amygdala decreases. The senior author of the study, Tali Sharot, an associate professor at University College London, an Israeli, by the way, wrote, think about it like perfume. You buy a new perfume and it smells strongly. A few days later, it smells less. And a month later, you don't smell it at all. Commenting on the study, Brown University psychologist Amitai Shenhav, 
just saying, <laughs> said that the findings are suggestive of a slippery slope. It could be that the act of lying by itself increases the propensity for acting dishonestly, like gradually pushing our foot off the brake. I was exhilarated upon reading this study because it describes in physiological and neurological terms precisely what our sages of old described in moral terms. According to the Talmud, the Yetzer, that troublesome inclination to do bad things, like lying, that Yetzer, the evil inclination, grows stronger from day to day, say the rabbis. Rabbi Asi teaches, the evil inclination is at first like the threat of a spider, but ultimately becomes like cart ropes. That is, the more you lie, the harder it is to get out of the lie. Lying itself entraps you, first like the thin threads of a spider, but eventually by cart ropes. So we now have neurological proof that the rabbis were right. Took 1,800 years, but better late than never. The effect on our brain makes lying ever easier and ever more necessary. The amygdala itself is affected. This was the precise, con Rab the, the third century sage, Rabbi Huna said, when a person commits a transgression and repeats it, it becomes something permissible. That was the conclusion of Christian Ruff, professor of neuroscience at the University of Zurich. The implication of the study, he said, is that we should watch out, that we don't tolerate lies in order to prevent people from lying when it really matters. In science speak, this is the precise conclusion of the great moral teachers of our tradition. Of course, everyone lies to some degree. Don't tell the groom that his bride is ugly, says the house of Hillel, even if it's the truth. Tell a white lie. Say that she is gracious and beautiful. I follow a variation of Hillel's advice all the time. It has preserved my marriage for over three decades. By now, when Allison asks me to comment on her attire, I respond, gracious and beautiful. Even before I look up, even before she finishes the question. But when we lie, it should be rare and in service of a higher principle. And when it comes to big offensive lies, we should realize that the ones who concoct such lies are not in search of truth. They are in search of themselves. They bend reality to their emotional, psychological, or practical needs. But their needs do not define reality. 
The fact that Sudan, Algeria, and Russia, Russia voted for a Palestinian Authority initiative to erase any Jewish history in Jerusalem does not alter the history of Jerusalem. It simply tells us more about the nature and personality of the liars. We must train ourselves to value the truth, to uphold the truth, to tell the truth, and to defend the truth. We must get off this slippery slope of lying before it's too late. What the scientists and the sages all teach is that at some point, it will be too late. At some point, we will be so caught up in the fantasy and lies that we shall be entrapped by them. Our amygdala will be permanently compromised. Franz Kafka wrote a fabulous one-paragraph fable. Alas, said the mouse, the world is growing smaller every day. At the beginning, it was so big that I was afraid. I kept running and running, and I was glad when at last I saw walls far away to the right and to the left. But these long walls have narrowed so quickly that I am in the last chamber already, and there in the corner stands the trap that I must run into. You only need to change your direction, said the cat, and ate it up.